I want to encourage you. This, that's good. this is a good segue. So let's go ahead and uh, start this morning. Uh, we're, we're looking at Matthew 5, verse 10. Again, thank you, Jack, for sharing. I um, so appreciate it. I think I see my daughter. Hi, honey. Um, uh, so grateful that he was able to share last week, and we had some time away. I had some beautiful times of prayer in these incredible cathedrals and uh, was able to just uh, be, be, uh, be blessed by that. But Matthew 5, verse 10 um, let's go ahead and do something. I'm going to go ahead and encourage us to do this. If I had you stand up a little while ago, I'm going to have you stand up again. And I want to invite you to walk through the, 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 uh, the ways of Jesus of the ninefold path as expressed as we've been looking at it. It's the Beatitudes. And so uh, you'll see us doing some simple postures. It's just a, a means of reminding ourselves to embody what these uh, uh, Beatitudes look like. By the way, I pray them almost every day, but sometimes they fall out of my head, not in necessarily the correct order. So if they happen to be reiterated right now, out of order, don't freak out on me. Remind me, however, honey, if I miss one. All right, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn and lament, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful and the meek, for they will be shown, uh, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they treated the prophets who were before you. Did I miss one? No. All right. You may be seated. I'm, I'm just making, air, or making room for error because my brain isn't fully functional. Matthew 5.10. By the way, this message I put together a week ago, and it's incredibly fitting. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice or righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk to you this morning about the way of radical love. I'm going to talk about this over the next two weeks. Um, written April the 16th, 1963. It was later published on June the 12th of that same year. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in longhand, and how fitting for us to have a message like this. Um, this week is the beginning of Black History Month. But it's also a moment that's a moment of pain in our nation. Yeah, he wrote this letter, um, a letter from the Birmingham jail. And it was directed at eight Alabama clergy who were considered moderate religious leaders. In other words, they were those that supported him, stood with him, uh, and in fact, on, on April the 12th, those same eight clergy, however, had published a letter entitled A Call for Unity, in which they asked Dr. King to delay the civil rights demonstrations in Birmingham and condemn the idea of public demonstrations. That same day, he was arrested and put into the Birmingham jail. 
And his epic response still echoes through history, and it is very timely today. It is long by his own admission, but it was directed to those fellow clergy who had since, and, and since then, many people have looked at this letter as a manifesto of the civil rights movement. To his colleagues who actually agreed with his goal of removing segregation, yet they said these demonstrations were unwise and untimely. He did something that he seldom ever did. He responded to criticism. And I'm just going to give a few quotes. It's a several-page long letter, but I just want to give a few quotes that are very timely. He, he chose to respond to the obvious glaring injustice. He said, you deplore the demonstrations that are presenting, presently taking place in Birmingham, but I'm... I, I, must, but I am sorry that your statement did not express similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. So can I just sidebar here for a moment? Can we have, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking to particularly to, to most of us in the room, or I shouldn't say most of us, to, to those of us of a lighter hue in the room, um, that we, you know, I, I grew up, my, my father was a, an immigrant and he had this, he came with a completely different heart posture that I've had to unravel. But uh, one of those postures was, you know, uh, why, why can't you just be grateful for where you are, that kind of posture. And so can I just sidebar, as we see those demonstrating in our nation today, that our hearts aren't just bothered by demonstrations, but that we're bothered by what's brought them about. He went on to identify what in, <coughs> had informed the movement was an extra posture of systemic power structures that had been left in place. Again, I quote, I would not hesitate to say that it is unfortunate that so-called demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham at this time, but I would say in more emphatic terms that it is even more unfortunate that the white power structure of this city left the Negro community with no other alternative. Later, he identifies with striking detail how apathy towards injustice was unloving. I must, again, I'm quoting, make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached an irregrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in, in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action and paternalistically feels that he can set a timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient time. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Then he went on to explain that the spirit that had informed the movement was not the use of power and retaliation, but nonviolence. In the original letter to the pastors, both he and the movement were identified as extremists. 
This was his response to that particular phrase. As I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies, bless those that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I bear in my body the marks of Christ. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Was not John Bunyan an extremist? I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a mockery of my conscience. Was not Abraham Lincoln an extremist? The nation cannot survive half slave, half free. Was not Thomas Jefferson an extremist? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So the question is not whether we will be extremists. Now listen, guys. But what kind of extremist will we be? Will we be extremists for hate? Or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice? Or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? So to the people who were living in the darkness of oppression and segregation, that meant the choice to meet violence and the oppression of violence with nonviolence, with a posture of love. And I think we have a few of those photos that are well documented. The moment in human history that is embedded when in the streets of Birmingham, men and women and boys and girls lived this beatitude of Jesus in the streets. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of injustice and righteousness. Men, women, boys and girls suffering nonviolently in a face of inhuman provocation. And what Martin Luther King and hundreds of others who joined him revealed was that the power that would be at work in their lives, this is what they chose to believe, and this is what I want to speak over us this morning, especially at this moment, is that there can be a power at work in us that is more powerful than batons, fire hoses, dogs, and imprisonment. Later that same year, in, in June of 63, in a sermon entitled Strength to Love, he made this statement, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only love can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The good news that we are proclaiming this day, today, and in a very timely way, is echoed in these last two Beatitudes. In the face of systemic power structures, in the places and the spaces of our lives that have touched us and touched the lives of other people, we can encounter another power at work called the kingdom of God, beloved. When we choose the posture of Jesus actually in our life called the posture of love. You know, Mark Scandrett in his book on the ninefold paths of Jesus calls this beatitude the way of surrender. I, I don't, I, I would rather just, I'm, I've chosen to take the liberty of 
lumping these last two beatitudes and just calling it the way of radical love. It looks like the posture of Jesus. It lives like the posture of Jesus. If it sounds like the posture of Jesus, then that's the beauty that will save the world, not our strength and our power, okay? Um, also, in my own life, not I mean, not that many days ago, um, I had something that happened to me. I, I have a person that I deeply, deeply care about that faced a life crisis several weeks ago. A sudden loss of employment, I mean, for the whole for their whole home. It was just absolutely unseen. And uh, after sharing that, I began to reach out through email, just shared some prayers. I've been holding them in prayer daily. I continue to do that. Um, we sent them a little bit of money, um, prayed for them almost daily, shared some of the prayers that I've been praying, and I was just trying to communicate in a generous, loving, and caring posture towards them. So you guys follow what I'm saying, right? So when I saw a letter that was, that was, uh, that was uh, addressed specifically to me, I was pretty sure that it was going to be something, you know, this is how this touched me or that kind of thing. And uh, I opened it up, and it was four and a half typewritten pages of a retelling of history and that began with a blatant, verifiable mistruth. And I was really, it didn't bother me at all. I'm kidding. Okay? You really think I'm not human. <laughs> Denise was in the room. I mean, when I got through the first paragraph, it slammed down on the counter. Are you kidding me? And I went back and looked at it again. And I don't know how many times I asked that question, right, Ben? More than once. Um, and as I read more and more of the letter, more anger is rising up in me. I, I, I mean, I aired it, obviously, in front of Denise and repeating this phrase, are you kidding me? So the next day before my prayer time, which for me normally is in the morning, um, I went, you know, got a pencil and started airing between me and Jesus. Let's just, let's just at least correct the verifiable facts, right? Um, it wasn't as long, so, you know, but, I mean, if we're going to talk about facts, let's at, let's at least have the right ones. And, uh, and I began to, you know, sh you know, jot this stuff down. I went back and said, Denise, you know, what, 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 do you, what do you think? And she's trying to gently love me. See, that reaction you, you know, it's not just reaction, it's a reaction. There's an action that came at me, and I'm reacting. Is common to all of us, isn't it? Um, especially when, when something comes, and, you know, here I am in the posture giving myself generously, and not only is it an accusation, but it's deeply personal. Accusing my motives. And, um, you know, okay, you want it? You want a piece of me? <laughs> right? And, I mean, we have entire movies devoted to just that thing, right? Let's go. You want to fight? We'll fight. Um, 
and oddly, we have a, like a, almost entire. If I if I if I could go down the sidebar rabbit trail, be their entire movie. Uh, what what do they call those things? Uh, uh, no, I mean there's a set when they have a set of movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a movie, you know. There's franchises. Yeah, there's entire franchises devoted to to uh, portraying the reaction and the you know that it's totally defendable. And see, my, so my point is that this impulse is common to man. Do I have an amen in the room? Right. Action, reaction. Uh, and it is, by the way, responsible for lots of church splits, lots of community splits, and untold amounts of family drama. You see, here it feels good to do good. And I mean, you know, when we reach out to affirm, it's it's better to give than to receive. And when we reach out and and, and affirm somebody, normally, like nine times out of ten, it's met with generosity, right? Yeah, you know, you greet somebody and, you know, and they, don't, they don't snarl back at you. But when they do, you're like, what? But when our, you know, our, our kindness and our choice to do the right thing is met with pain, it is especially challenging. That, beloved is what Jesus is referring to right here. Now, I, I want to say this. This is not, I, I am not trying to, um, no, I, I'm just sharing from my heart this morning. But I, I, I want to say I would not be in ministry at all if I had not learned how to somehow process and deal with this level of pain. Um, because it's enough to blow up relationships and to put somebody in a permanent path of discouragement. Um, you know, the, the more I can say about that, rather than going to this beatitude, is that it's not just an idea that we learn in a Sunday school lesson. It's not like a little Sunday school pen or, or verse. You know, I had my kids, if they ever wanted to get their ears pierced, they had to memorize the beatitudes. There you go. You got your ears pierced. To really understand this lesson is to know this, that it will be forged in your life from the place of pain. Okay? I just, I, I share this with you openly. I share this with you saying it's not easy. I know it because the reaction from us that's normal is normal. Nobody likes pain. And we like to defend ourselves from it. Um, I, again, I don't think I'd be in ministry had it not been for prayer, for my wife, and for close friends who invited me to live differently uh, than the impulses that were leading me uh, to, to respond. Uh, in this case that I was just sharing with you, it was pretty much the same. You know, Denise listened to my initial reaction and challenged me to remain steady in prayer. Go back to prayer, Ben, with it. And as we come back into conversation, this was the thing that came back was, Every action will have a reaction. So am I going to kick back and choose to retaliate justifiably? And I, I'm happy to say, thankful to prayer and to my wife, that after a few days of prayer and processing, I wrote another response 
that had two sentences. I received your letter, and I love you very much. Now, see, the real question for me was this. Am I going to believe that there's going to be something more powerful at work in my life than my ability to push back? And, beloved, this is, this is the word of the Lord for the body of Christ right now. Do we actually believe? See, we've, we've had this esoteric sort of disconnected idea of the kingdom of God is somewhere out there when I die. You know, God forgave me my sins, but as far as between here and there, do we actually believe something can be present in our life that is more powerful than all the powerful forces around us? Jesus said it is. Am I going to believe it? So Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are mistreated for doing good, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus, by the way, goes on and gives this particular beatitude some more teeth in Matthew 5. And uh, since you memorized the whole of the Sermon on the Mount last week, here we go. I'll go ahead and reiterate it. Here we go. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said... An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's just normal impulse. Governments do this. The people, you remember our president saying, the people who did this to us will soon hear from us. But I say to you, this is the posture of Jesus. Do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your cloak as well. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you and do not uh, turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. That's easy. Hate your enemy. Comes naturally. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes uh, the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the uh, Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's always a challenging verse, isn't it? Perfection, by the way, Paul clarifies, by the way, that the perfect way is the way of love. It's not your, not your absence of, of moral wrongdoings. The perfection of God was displayed in the love of God on the cross in the most horrific injustice ever portrayed upon humanity. Okay? Be perfect. That's my goal. The way of Jesus. So, uh, Mark Scandrett, by the way, I think makes a, a, suggests that these verses, verses 38 to 48, are some of the most well-known and the least followed of Jesus' teachings. I happen to agree with that. Because history is filled with all kinds of examples of Jesus' followers who have used power to fulfill their impulses to respond to eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And yet... Uh, Jesus in this beatitude is revealing another way, the way of radical love, a posture that is counterintuitive and countercultural. Jesus is speaking. Now, I want to remind you that he's speaking to men and women who are living under Roman occupation. This is what this means in Roman occupation. A Roman soldier could come up to your house 
and not even have to knock and say, what's for supper? I'm here. Feed me and my buddies. A Roman soldier could stop you on the road and say, I'm tired of carrying this heavy pack. You carry it. It didn't matter if you thought you were capable or not. No compassion in that posture at all. He was a Roman soldier, and the legally mandated distance was one mile. They treated them like slaves. Instead of resistance and retaliation, Jesus invites them to a posture of nonviolence, non-resistance. Dr. King knew that he would be arrested, but he encouraged others into this nonviolent posture that was based literally right here. So that's why Mark Scandret suggests a posture looks like this. arrested. I showed Denise that posture a couple weeks ago. She said, I don't think I like that. I said, you're right. It's not our normal posture. But choosing another power that says, I believe in the way of radical love. So let me clarify something that needs to be clarified because this often will come up. So you're saying I'm just going to let people run over me? Actually, what you're implying by your question, which I've asked, is that you don't think love is more powerful than what's facing you. Um, that resisting evil with love is a more powerful posture than your resistance to it. So how do we begin to choose the way of radical love? So, so again, my point is, not, you're not getting run over. You're choosing another path. How do we do it? According to the ways of words of Jesus, verses 38 to 40, what is it, 8, somewhere in there? I think those are the verses. And, and chapter 5. How do we choose the way of radical love? Number one is embracing suffering and doing good. Not growing weary in doing well-doing. Verse 38, retaliation, beloved, an eye for an eye is easy. But it leaves both of us with a black eye, Right? If I return a black eye for a black eye, we both hurt. But fundamental to the kingdom of God, being known and tangibly experienced in my life is a choice to believe in the power of the cross being present in me that the power dynamic of love and that law being present in my life is more powerful than what is coming at me. Amen? All right? So often there's a prayer that I'll pray at times, not every day, but it says, you know, Lord, that... That, that I believe you that the axis of love revealed in the cross would reshape and reform me and refound the world around me. It's a, it's a whole different posture. So it is important, however, that I don't forget this. So I'm believing that there's a different law at work. Um, but it's also important that I, I choose to believe that the pain and the hurt in my life, which, by the way, doesn't mean that I ignore it. You do need to do your work. It hurts. I know. Let's deal with that. Let's be honest with it. So it needs to be acknowledged. It's absolutely real. But what we're proclaiming as we believe in the way of love is that that 
pain doesn't get the final word in my life. That's almost worth shouting about. I mean, think about Jesus. Just think about the, Paul says it. You know, he says this is the the when we look at the it, it's offensive to our thinking. Jesus, everybody ran away, and you're suffering a criminal's death. And and it looks like every, absolutely everything else around you is winning. And he's choosing the way of the Father. So the way of Jesus, and, and the prophet Isaiah identified it in chapter 53. If you read through it, it's like a, like a lamb without any kind of resistance led to the slaughter, right? But it's the lamb, revelation that John sees uh, in chapter 5, that's standing as if slain. You see, you, have you ever pondered, meditated on that picture? The, the lamb sitting at the center of it all, this, this lamb standing as if slain. The, so, wait, he's, he's lived from a whole different posture. So, embracing suffering and doing good. Number two, so, so what, part, of, part of what needs to get out of our brain, especially in, in our American exceptionalism or in, our, in the way we've kind of Christianized that, is the idea that somehow if I do it right, I won't have suffering. That's a lie. Okay? So, all right. So, I'm embracing it. Number two, um, I probably should say, that doesn't mean I make, make me a martyr, all right? <laughs> it's just the way of Jesus, all right? It is the way of the cross. Um, okay, back, back to the notes. Number two is uh, embracing suffering, doing good, but also praying. Prayer. Now, this, this, this particular uh, part of prayer began to get some traction for me, oh, I don't know, 18, 19 years ago, something like that. And um, when, it might, no, probably 20-plus years ago. And we're going through, a, we're going through an, a situation in our journey, and all kinds of goofy things are being said. And, uh, you know, it's, again, one of those situations where somebody's being accusing, you're, you're, you're being accused of motives and your actions that have absolutely nothing to do with what you've been doing. And so um, these verses were, be, became kind of a heartbeat for me. Out of Psalm 35, and if you want to look at them later, that's fine. I just want to read them to you. Psalm 35. This is the way the psalmist said that he, he, he settled his heart in a posture of prayer. Okay? He said, um, they repay me. Oh, malicious witnesses. Verse, uh, might as well go there. Malicious witnesses rise up. Um, they ask me things that I don't know. They repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, verse 13, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. At my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. So you've got this situation. The psalmist is saying you've got people who are kind of wagging their finger and their tongue. But this is what I chose in my heart was a posture in prayer that said, I will hold you. I will care for you like I would my own mother or brother. Okay? So this isn't prayer like God. You know, I hear somebody's like, 
trust me, he's going to get you with the heaping coals on your head. No, that's not the posture of prayer we're talking about right now. We're talking about prayer that is praying for that person for good. So, Lord, would you, would, you, would you grant them good? And what that does for me, oh, is it actually changes me and my attitude. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. Mark Skandret has, uh, he shared, he's had some of his own stories as well that he shares in, in his book. But he said uh, uh, the, the prayer that he uses is, may you find peace, embrace goodness and love and experience what is most real and true. The point is that we're praying from a posture of blessing towards those who have wounded and hurt me. By the way, just 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 as a sidebar, <laughs> I've done a few of those this morning. Uh, just as a sidebar, uh, I've had to pray that prayer for some people repeatedly, <laughs> because not because not because God doesn't have trouble. You know, he's he's got a kind heart towards them. I have to get my heart back there. Okay? Right? Okay. So um, embracing suffering, praying from a posture of blessing, and then blessing those who curse you. And Jesus said, you know, bless them. So the, the choice is to put a guard over my mouth that I'll speak words that are life, that are positive, that are generous, that are not filled with cursing. See, Resistant defensiveness comes naturally, especially when our good is met with pain. Resiliency is found in the ability to embrace this way called the radical way of love. And beloved, I believe it is the great hope of the world. It is the beauty that will save the world. It is the beauty that we believe save the world. That's why we look at the cross, right? Oh, God. This is what saved the world. This is what will continue to save the world. Let it be displayed in me. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only love can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Love can do that only. So the good news that we proclaim today is echoed in these last two Beatitudes that in the face of systemic power structures that remain in place, that stare us right in the face, that have touched us and continue to touch our lives, that we can encounter another way called the kingdom of love, uh, the, the kingdom of God when we choose the posture of Jesus, the radical way of love. Amen? Amen, beloved. Amen. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. I want to encourage us this morning in response to a prayer, and I found this prayer from John Piper's website, um, Desiring God. So would you stand with me? It's a little bit of a longer prayer, um, but it's really a, a good prayer, all right? By the way, some of these phrases you can add in whoever you would like, but here we go. Ready? Let's pray this. Father, grant that my enemies, my colleague who snubs me, my spouse who belittles me, my child who disrespects me, the terrorist who wants to kill me, my workmate who wants to harm me. I mean, you can add in there, okay? Grant that they would come to hollow your name. Grant that they would treasure you above all and reverence you and admire you more than anything. 
Father, grant that my enemies would come under the saving, purifying sway of your kingly rule and that you would exert your kingly power and make, <laughs> make my enemies your own loyal subjects. Grant, Father, that my enemies would love to do your will the way the, the angels do it in heaven, with all their might and without reservation and with the purest motives and with great joy. Grant, Father, that my enemies would have all physical resources of food and clothing and shelter and education and health care and transportation that they need to fulfill your calling in their lives. And forgive my enemies their sins as you bring them to repentance and make them forgiving people and protect them from overpowering temptations and from the destructive power of the devil. Amen and amen.